Hello, and welcome to the Better Strangers podcast for Friday, March 10th. I am Matt Hirschberger, the writer and publisher of Better Strangers. And uh, yeah, if you hear leaf blowers outside, that's because it's apparently the start of summer here on the Jersey Shore in early March. I don't know why they're doing it, but uh, I'm not soundproofed in the best of situations, so I apologize for uh, any weird kind of sounds going on back there. I also apologize for the fact that I've been a little bit off with my posting and stuff lately. Um, I have an excuse for it, Uh, and the excuse is the topic of today's podcast. Uh, I've been getting like we're, we're 20 years ago, my, my high school lacrosse team won the state championships and it was like division, it was like division three. It was very low tier. Um, but, uh, I've been getting emails since then from like one of our old high school coaches trying to organize like this whole event for us to come back and like get like, you know, recognized and everything. And he'll be like two days late and he'll just be like, no excuses. Uh, and it's just like, oh my God, I, it's like a flashback back to school. Like you'd forget to bring a pencil to class and you'd be like, yeah, I forgot a pencil. And they'd be like, there's no excuse. It's you just have to take responsibility. And it's like, I, I actually don't think that, I think that there are times when you're just allowed to fucking coast <laughs> and not do as much. Um, anyway, the reason that I've been slow has been because of mental health issues, which is something I've talked about on my blog, like several years ago. Um, If you haven't been following me since then, I've been struggling with depression for the greater part of a decade now. Um, It's got a whole bunch of different causes, and it's been something that I've been in therapy for for, I think, eight years. Um, But it's never been something that I've ever been medicated for until yesterday. I am on my second day of Prozac, which if you know anything about Prozac, that means that it hasn't started working yet, but it has started giving me diarrhea. So... Um, that's something, sorry, that's not something you really need to know, but you know, this is, this is the, the fun, sexy details of mental health. <clears throat> Basically, I, uh, I quit my job back in January to start writing full time again. And, um, that I've really enjoyed what I've been able to write and I've really enjoyed starting to kind of get a plan underneath me for what a new writing career looks like. Um, but I kind of hit the second week and I was just super tired and I was like, I didn't take a vacation and I actually haven't taken any time off of work. Like, you know, any, like a full week. I haven't taken a full week off work in years, just years. I mean, I've done it for, we did like some family trips and stuff, but they were kind of stressful because they were with small kids. And so I kind of just decided to take a week and coast on the backlog of material that I'd written and just sort of relax and uh, play a lot of God of War, God of War Ragnarok. And uh, as it turns out, if you've just gone through three years of pandemic and um, some a pretty pretty hard year working at a library and dealing with some some very difficult patrons and stuff, and you take a second to catch your breath, then all of that stuff that you've been kind of holding off just by just sheer busyness starts to rush back in. And uh, then you have to start to deal with all of the stuff that's been hard for a really long time and, and with the, the emotional toll that it's taken on you. Um, I published a couple weeks ago, the, I th- think the last podcast I did was an audio version of my podcast called, or my, my article, Against Forgiveness, which kind of talks about entropy and how uh, these things that happen to us, whether we admit it or not, they leave kind of a mark on us. And um, a big part of what you have to do in order to sort of come to terms with what has happened 
to you is to just give yourself the time to see the damage that these like you know these major major life events have uh have done to you and so you know covid um was you know with especially in you know covid my my son was born a month before covid and then got colic basically the day that covid started if you don't have kids colic is when a child just screams and the doctors are like oh we don't know what's causing it so we'll just call it colic and so he screamed for more or less the first six months of lockdown so you know the stress of that and then you know of trying to, you know, reorient or figure out like how to support ourselves and how to get like, you know, child support when daycares were sending our kids home all the time and where we had a lot fewer and we didn't have as many people that we could call in for help and, you know, trying to deal with just like the emotional toll of all that stuff. Um, that really starts to weigh on you. And, you know, when, you know, before I was a parent, that sort of emotional stuff was something I'd just be like, ah, I don't need to worry about it. But, you know, when you're a parent, it does, it is something that will affect your kids if you don't start to pay attention to your, your, you know, your emotional health. And so that's kind of been something that I've been uh, working through quite a bit. And, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking just having spoken to a lot of, uh, a lot of friends and, and family members who have, you know, just also been going through the ringer. Um, there was an amazing essay published right when the pandemic came uh, came out, like it was a fucking premiere, uh, right when the pandemic started by Arundhati Roy, who uh, is probably the greatest living writer. She um, she wrote the book The God of Small Things, and then she spent 20 years writing polemical uh, political essays, and then she recently published her second one, but her second novel. But her uh, when the pandemic started, she she wrote an article called The Pandemic is a Portal, and it was kind of talking about how all of these problems that have been weighing on our society will now be, like, pushed through this pandemic portal, and it's just going to be that much harder to to really just ignore all of these problems that we've been trying to ignore for so long um, with the pandemic kind of, like, kind of coming down on us. And... You know, that's something, you know, you know, for someone like me, it seems pretty obvious that the entire system of capitalism is designed to take as much from us as possible. And, you know, <clears throat> some of the things that it seems like it, a lot of the stuff was bearable for the first, you know, before the pandemic, but then you have to worry about health care and you go to the doctor for something that you think is an emergency, but you end up getting a bill for thousands of dollars and you're like, okay, how do I handle that? And then you uh, have kids that you're putting in each, each one of them, it's like a thousand dollars a month per kid uh, for daycare. And, uh, and then the daycare calls and says, oh, they have a sneeze. Um, you got to take them home and they can't come back for two weeks or into, or unless they test positive for, or you have to bring in all these like levels of tests, which basically means your kids just can't come back to school. And, uh, and you still pay, you still pay for the daycare when they're not in and you're not going to work. So you like double up on the loss of money. And so, you know, that's part of the reason that I did quit my previous job was so I could do that. And, uh, yeah, it starts to really grind you down and, you know, something that me and my wife have had to talk about a lot is how we can kind of get a better, better support around us. Like how do we, how do we call on our community more when, when the society that is supposed to offer us support, um, when, when that fails. And, you know, a lot of it is realizing that we, 
have kind of, even though both of us wouldn't call ourselves capitalists, we've kind of, you know, fallen back on a capitalist system and we've, you know, allowed kind of, you know, closer knit communities to decay. Um, so yeah, it's been hard. And so this week I, I finally hit up kind of a point a few weeks back where my, my therapist who, who's, who was great was just like, Hey, you know, like, maybe antidepressants aren't a terrible idea. And so I had to go through a thing this week where um, I went to the first doctor's appointment was a psychiatrist who was prescribed me with Prozac. Then she was like, hey, your blood pressure is crazy high. You got to get that checked out. And just kind of, you know, like realizing that all of these things, which I previously kind of thought is outside of me, like all these things happening in the world, this COVID and and, you know, the slow collapse of democracy and uh, and uh, climate change and all that stuff. And realizing that it actually has an effect, like, on my body, which means it has an effect in my brain, um, that I'm not actually separate from everything else, which, you know, uh, as a white male, you're raised to, you know, be like, yeah, you're totally self-sufficient, nothing matters but you, um, and, you know, as much as I hate that whole way of thinking, it's hard to say I haven't internalized it. So, you know, that's something that I've been, I've been, you know, that's what I've been going through, um, the... The other thing that I kind of wanted to mention was that, you know, just having, you know, when, you know, I, as, as I've said, I've worked at a library for most of the past five years. And um, one of the things I noticed, especially as things started to open up again after COVID, is we got a lot of mental health issues within the library, uh, typically patrons. But, you know, the, the great thing about a library is that anyone can go to a library. That's also what makes it a pretty difficult place to work at because that's where a lot of the people who have issues with um, drugs or homelessness or, or kids who have, you know, troubled homes, um, you know, that's where they end up. And so it becomes kind of a, a place where it's there should be other things in place for a library, you know, that, that aren't a library for, for these, for these people. Like if you're having issues with drugs, there should be a place you could safely go and just, you know, be supported and offered help. Uh, if you're, there shouldn't be homelessness there, that just shouldn't exist. And, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, there should be places for kids. Actually, I think a library is a pretty good place for a kid who's having a hard time at home, so I take that one back. But, like, you know, there, there's a whole other social support system that should exist in an actually functioning society. And unfortunately, um, a lot of that stuff is falling onto libraries and schools right now. And so one of the things I kind of noticed at the end of my time there was that it, it really took a toll on the staff having all of these these kind of, you know, you know, there's there's overdoses, there's mental health episodes, and that type, and that sort of thing starts to really wear on you when you work there. And one thing I've noticed is that often staff would kind of internalize what had happened, and you know, it, it would be blaming ourselves, like, well, what did we do wrong? What? Do, and it's like, you know, guys, you know, like, you know, and there's there's definitely things like as an organization that you can do to provide better service and things like that. But the thing that I was kind of thinking as now that I've left is like. Why the fuck are we blaming ourselves? We're completely underfunded. We are we are doing the, we are doing the work of a social worker a lot of the time, or a caseworker. Or there was a time where our local constituent services, which was supposed to, we, we referred people to them if they needed help finding housing and stuff. We said, oh, go talk to them. They'll help you get your like access to your unemployment. And they just sent the people that went there back and said, the library will help you out with it. The elected officials whose job it is to do to, to help people with unemployment sent them to a librarian 
who is not a caseworker, who cannot handle confidential information, and they sent them back, and they just said, they'll take care of it. The, the, whole, the whole system was built to completely, completely fuck uh, look, it's not. It wasn't built to fuck people. It was built so that rich people could hold on to as much of their wealth as possible. And any time that they can deliver cuts to taxes for the rich people, and any time that they can cut social services that they seem is like you know extraneous to being a rich person, they will. So it wasn't explicitly built to fuck people, but it was built to allow the worst people to keep as much as possible, and. You know, it gets frustrating when you work in government, and I, I've seen, I've heard of this from a lot of government workers. Um, my wife previously worked in government, and she had kind of the same thing, where you, you basically are taking on the work of a completely overburdened system, and you're internalizing anything that you're not able to do as as you failing to help a person, and it's why a lot of people in the public sector get serious burnout, and. You know, I, I adored working in a library, but, you know, there, there came a point where it was just like, well, if there's not a social worker here who can help, like, kind of a lot of these, the, the homeless or the people who are struggling with drugs, then um, we're, not, we're not really, we're just going to be taking it on the chin. And, and you know, and, and internalizing that isn't particularly healthy either. You know, you, you kind of, you also, you know, like something, you know, you recognize as like a parent during the pandemic is that you are trying your best with zero support. If you're being responsible, you're trying not to expose people to, to a, um, you know, to a deadly disease, which means cutting off a lot of, you know, so, you know, look for generations, um, parents have been supported by the grandparents. And if the grandparents are at risk because of a disease and you don't want to expose them, then that means that you're, you know, you kind of have to cut out one of your main lines of support. And then, you know, one of the things I noticed with parents during this in this entire thing is like, we just started going like, you know, oh, we're failing on this, we're failing on this. Like, you know, like you notice all different ages of kids um, had different developmental issues. So like, you know, my son, who's uh, three now, but was born at the time of the pandemic, had a really hard time uh, with um, with uh, speaking. Like he's he just took a lot longer to learn how to speak than than our our daughter did, who learned to speak before the pandemic. And you know, me and my wife just kicked ourselves for this for a really long time until finally, when he was back in daycare, um, his teacher was like, "Yeah, it's because of masks. Like he's gotten so used to people wearing masks that he he learned." When he hears people talking, he didn't learn to look at their mouths moving. And that's how you learn how to shape words, is by looking at mouths. So it's actually pretty common among kids his age to have slower speech because the masks were covering the mouths. That's not to say, you know, you have to make a, you, you, I'm not saying masks bad, but like, you know, like you're, you're, you know, you're making a, you're weighing something. Uh, there's a consequence to, to something that you're doing to protect people, but it also has like these harms that it, that it, you know, it's not a harm. My son is still very vocal and very capable of saying what he needs, but you know, these sorts of things happened with all parents. And a lot of, a lot of what parents did is they really internalized it as some sort of personal failing and not as a, a complete miserable failure of the society that we live in. You know, if we had just done six weeks, everyone in the country does a lockdown 
and gets paid for it. You know, that would have been expensive, but would it have been as expensive as this fucking nightmare that we've been dealing with since then, where it's just the pandemic continues and we have now mental health crises where, what was it, one in three teenage girls has committed, uh, considered suicide? And like, you know, where, where this, you know, kids are just, you know, completely lost in their phones and they're despairing about the future. Like, you know, like this, this sort of stuff just completely caving in because we, the people in charge of our country, did not think that we were worth saving. They thought that their profits were worth saving. And a lot of what we have done in seeing that is we've, we've been trained to view it as some sort of personal failing. And so that's something I'm trying to unlearn a little bit. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people have had similar struggles. I'm, I'm actually kind of fortunate in that I, I, my depression sort of kicked off back in 2015, probably because it gave me a lot more therapy under my belt and a lot more of an understanding of kind of what was going on with my brain and my body by the time that COVID hit. So for that, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty grateful, um, but you know, it's still, it's still something that, you know, you have to deal with. And I kind of, for a while was like, you know, like I beat, I beat depression. I'm, I'm out of it. And you start to realize like, no, that's not actually how this works. This is something that comes in waves and is dependent on a lot of other factors in your life. So anyway, uh, I guess the point of this week's podcast is if you're part of the mini, the, the giant group of people that are going through some sort of mental health crisis, please don't internalize stuff that is the fault of our bullshit society. Please keep in mind that you're trying your best and you're probably doing a very good job and you don't need to hate yourself for the fact that you, a lot of factors outside of your control have, have gone to great lengths to harm you. And, you know, uh, if it's right for you, consider medication. I don't know why I've been, I've been going through depression for eight years and I literally didn't think of it until a few weeks ago. And I actually didn't think of it. My wife, my wife was just like, why have you not tried, you know, like, but yeah. So anyway, I got that little nudge. And then I realized like for years I'd been thinking that, you know, I'd, I'd had some weird anti, like, you know, like I'm on a raw dog depression. And, um, don't think that's the healthiest way of thinking about mental health. Raw dogging in general is not the best. Oh, you know what? We're not getting into that. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys are all doing okay. Um, in spite of my kind of haphazard uh, stuff with uh, Better Strangers lately, I am going to be doing a lot of really cool stuff too uh, coming up soon. I've got really cool news that I can't share yet, um, but I'm going to soon when I, when I can. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of more cool, a lot more cool stuff coming. Thank you for bearing with me during my, um, my slow mental health breakdown. It's, you know, it's not a breakdown. This is just, this is just me figuring my stuff out, taking care of myself a little bit better than I have been in the past, but yeah. Um, all right. I will talk to you guys soon and I hope that you remember that, um, the awfulness of our society is not your fault. And I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you soon.